part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You may be seated this morning as we open up, uh, open up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, we're going to be focusing on that. I know that we've been in Philippians chapter 3. That's kind of our vision verse. Uh, verses, um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And we've been looking at that for a while, uh, the last couple of weeks. But this morning we're going to look at another passage. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I'm assuming that Paul had a lot of influence. It just has a lot of his techniques uh, when we begin to read that. But I want to start off with something from another theologian, uh, Lewis Carroll. Anybody ever hear of Lewis Carroll? He's probably not a theologian that you're, uh, I don't know if that was his trade, but he's the one that that wrote Alice in Wonderland. And I was told, we were talking about this in Life Group uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. But there's an exchange between Alice and the Cheshire Cat that I think is so relevant uh, today to what we've been talking about, this running a race, and as we would put our mind there. And Alice is in this strange land. She doesn't really know where to go, and so she comes upon the Cheshire Cat. And here's the exchange that goes back and forth. I want you to listen uh, of, of what was written here. Now, again, this is just a fiction. And as it really is, I was kidding about the theological part, but, it, but yet I find a lot of theology in Dr. Seuss and in different things like that, that sometimes you get down and you go, these are just truths. Listen to what happens. Alice begins, she said, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? And Cheshire Cat response, that depends a good deal on where you want to go to. And Alice responds, I don't much care. The cat responds, then it doesn't really matter which way you go. She comes back and says, well, as long as I get somewhere. And listen to the response of the Cheshire cat. Oh, you're sure to do that if you walk long enough. You'll, you'll get somewhere. See, here's the reality. is We've been looking about this illustration, this analogy about life as a race, the Christian life as a race, marriage as a race, you know, parenting as a race, all the things that we do as kind of a race. And we've been really clear that it's not a sprint where we are so prone to sprint, just kind of give energy in this burst of speed, but that it really is a marathon. But here's the reality, guys. Every one of us are going to be running a race. I promise you that life in many contexts is a race. But as we've seen the last couple of weeks, if you're called of Christ, that is, if you put your belief and trust in him, he calls you to a specific race. We're not just racing aimlessly. We're not like Alice as well. You know, it doesn't really matter. I just want to go somewhere. And yet there's a lot of folks that seemingly that's kind of, you know, maybe where we are in life. That maybe you're at one of those stages. You just don't know where you're going. You don't know the direction. You don't know where the finish line is. So it's really hard to put energy into something that you don't know where the end result is. It's kind of like the illustration that Paul gave one time about uh, boxing. He loves sports, I guess. He says, man, you know, I don't fight like a boxer just boxing aimlessly. He said, you know, there's a strategy here. There's a purpose here. There's a target here. And as we've been talking about life as a race, folks, I want you to know that there is a goal. There's a purpose. There is something that God is calling you to. And as much as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, if you're here for the first time, I forgive you. With, uh, please forgive me for all these references to the past couple of weeks. But we've been building this place well, we've said that you know, life is much more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And yet our very nature is to sprint through life. We do that in marriage a lot. You know, 
we just put a lot of, you know, we know that there's some edginess there. We know there's some trouble, and so we kind of give it a lot of attention. We do that in parenting. We do that sometimes in the job. The job, you know, it's time for that yearly review. And so you come in, you, man, you sprint. You really work fast, and you look, really work well for a while. And, and then after that examination, maybe after that interview, after that time, it's like, okay, the tendency is to kind of go back and just kind of ease off. Everything that we see about the Christian life, it is much more of a marathon than a sprint. There will be seasons when we really are high energy and we have to really put a lot of focus. We have to put a lot of, uh, of direction into the, the hope of the gospel and the faith. And, and it seems like it's really a, a, a very fast run. But most of our Christian life, guys, is going to be that marathon. Start to finish the day that God calls us to the day of Glorification. Remember, we've been looking at those theological terms. That justification is that moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ. And He justified you. He redeemed you completely at that time. You could not add even one good work that would finish that. He did it all. We just sing about that. And there is that day that's coming that we call glorification. That we will be, you know, made... And, and seeing him in his fullness, and, and we'll see all the glory and the holiness of God. But in between, we're running this race. It's what we call sanctification. And the goal is to become more and more like Christ as we're living this life out. And so we've been looking at these different uh, verses, and we saw that Paul said, press on. He used it not once, but two different times, press on. He said, strain forward. He said, put effort into this goal of becoming more and more like Christ. And this is reflected in more than just Paul's teachings. We see it again in different places. But this morning we want to go to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want you to see it written there. Now, to give you a little bit of background, uh, Hebrews is written to the Jewish people, the Hebrews. And it's written to them in a time of kind of frustration, uh, a time when they were kind of not really wanting to run with endurance. They were tired. And uh, they grew up in Judaism. And Judaism was a lot of obeying the laws and doing the right things. And, and your, your standing with God was kind of based on how good you were. Okay? And Judaism, because of all the different laws that they had, the more you could keep the law, the, really the thought was you were just closer to God. And, importantly, to, in their mindset, that God loved you more. All of a sudden, Christianity comes along. And this whole concept that Brittany was talking about this morning, uh, this whole concept that there was one who was worthy to die that was sinless and died in our place and made us right with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That all my sins were cast on him and all of his righteousness was cast on me. This novel concept, this new concept. And and the Jewish people that became Christians, that they were starting to walk in that. and, And yet there was something that was so comfortable about, you know, just trying to be good people. Not so much just relying on Christ, but just, you know, let's just try to be good people. They went back to what was comfortable and what was the norm. And so the writer of Hebrews, which again I think was either Paul or somebody who had a lot of Pauline influence, is writing to encourage them to say, look, that chasing after just being good is a lost cause. You can't win that race. You can never be good enough for a holy God. And he's trying to discourage them to that way of thinking and encourage them to keep on following hard after Christ. But let's be real honest, guys. I mean, I've been walking with Christ now since I was 12 years old, 42 years. 
And would you agree with that? I mean, can we just be honest that the Christian life, as much as we want it to be a marathon, that we really do kind of see ourselves kind of sprinting through it. There's times of revival and we really feel close to God and then times that we're going, okay, it's not that I don't believe, but I just don't have a really strong passion this moment, this week, this month. I, mean, I think that's one of the things that we all share in our walk with Christ is that it really does kind of go up and down. I mean, it's up, it's really good. It's really down, it's like maybe sometimes even down. Have you ever doubted that there was a God? I can, there was three pronounced times in my life that I, I can, even as a Christian, even as a pastor, that I was sitting there going, you know, that you just kind of contemplate that. Not on a theoretical level, but on a real level. God, what, what if you really don't exist? What if this is just one big fairy tale? Folks, I, I don't think that you can really go through life. I don't think that's an absence of faith. I think that's a challenge of faith. I mean, let's put it really practical. Have you ever doubted about your marriage a little bit? I'm not saying that you were going to head off to... You don't have to amen that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yes! Where <laughs> uh, you don't... You know, it's not that you're heading off you know, to, to seek a lawyer or something, but you just wonder, okay, man, really, for the rest of my life? Folks, marathon is challenging. Marathons are hard. The sprints are easy. There's the finish line. It's only 100 yards away. And you just kind of muster up the strength to get there. But marathons, you don't see the finish line for a long, long time. For some of us, longer than others. You just don't see it. And so you just keep on running, hoping that the end is eventually going to be in sight. Hebrews chapter 12. Look and see how he doesn't maybe use that word marathon But look what he talks about this writer as he's writing to these people that really are being challenged in their faith. They're just saying, man, we want the old and the comfortable. This new is really challenging to us. We just kind of want to drift. Have you ever drifted as a Christian? Just drift. And that's what they're challenged with. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily clings to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What he said there is, this is a marathon. He didn't say it in those words. But he says, you're going to need endurance in this race of Christianity. Not for salvation. Remember what we said last week? Our race, if you're a Christian, your race is not the race of salvation. Your race is the race of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And he's going to show us, especially verse 2, he said, look, you're not running salvation race. That's already been done. He's going to settle that in verse 2. He's trying to encourage these people. And he shares with us four different things this morning. So if you have a pen, you can write these down. Four different things that help us to endure when we really feel like giving up. Or to run the marathon when we can't see the end in sight. Four different things. The first thing that he says, he says he speaks about the importance of not running alone. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, again, you can speak out in church here if I ask a question like this. Who are the witnesses? What do you think he's making reference to? 
the chapter 4, John. And, and what did Hebrews chapter 11, which comes before Hebrews chapter 12, what do we know about that? If, if you've been, and I realize that some of you are brand new to Christianity, you're brand new to church, maybe this is the first time you're in church. And so this isn't common knowledge to you. But if you've been around church, one of the few Bibles, you know, chapters that we kind of know is this Hebrews chapter 11, and it's filled with all these Hall of Fame people. Abraham, Moses. I mean, all the people that, you know, even somebody who hasn't been to church at all, I, I don't know who Moses was, but I, I've, you know, heard about him. Just like being in life, you heard about some of these people. Well, that's the cloud of witnesses. He just talked in chapter 11 about all these people, this Hall of Fame of faith. And now he said, okay, we're, we're surrounded by their example. Today, I think we would give reference to not only their, their example, but also the example of others. That very much that, that we are to encourage one another. The Christian life was never meant to be done solo. It really wasn't. You need me, and I need you. It's the way God, God designed that. Have you ever read an auto, uh, a biography, not an autobiography, maybe that too, but a biography about somebody's life and got inspired? In seminary, we had to write, uh, read different ones and write reports on it. And, you know, out of all the classes, uh, those were probably some of my favorites because you read about some of these missionaries. And some of these guys, like, went to India, and there was no Christian witness there whatsoever. And he's like 11 years and not one response. Can you imagine that? 11 years and not one response. I started thinking about, you know, my own church, and it had been like 11 days and not one response, and I was discouraged. And it was one of those things, you start reading these biographies and you start getting encouraged because there's an examples out there that are just kind of, you know, not where you are. They're just kind of, they've already walked that path and they've been able to find victory. They've been able to find strength. They've been able to find encouragement along that. And, and so you read these and you start to get encouraged. That's what the writer's talking about. He said, look, I want you to know this is not a race that you need to be running alone. Now, nowadays, in a practical sense, you wouldn't want to race, I mean, run at night for safety reasons a lot of times. If you're a female, you certainly don't want to be running alone at night or very early in the morning when it's still dark and that. You know, you want somebody there just for safety reasons. But, but realize that this isn't just a safety factor, folks. This is an encouragement factor. That God wants us to do life with one another. And so we start to, to read about these people that were in chapter 11, and, and all of a sudden we, we get encouraged. But he doesn't stop there. He says, okay, number one, I want you to know, if you're going to do endurance, you're going to have to have people running with you. That's why we do church. God is not impressed. I, I don't think, I, I can never say without a doubt that God doesn't have a checklist in, in heaven, but everything in the Bible would tell me that he doesn't have a checklist this morning. And then he says, cleave, check. You know? Can I see it? Check. I don't think that's how God does it. You know, there was one check mark that was made, guys. It was made 2,000 years ago when Christ rose from the dead after he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And you know what God did? He said, check. For everybody to put their faith and their trust in this, check. And that's the only check I'm ever going to need. And yet, if I'm going to do life as a Christian and become more and more like him in the way that I'm a daddy, a husband, a pastor, a friend, I need you. We get encouragement one from another. Check this. Just check the theology here. 
in some of the most discouraging times of your life, in some of the most trying times that your faith was challenged the most, would you say that there was a spirit of, of just wanting to be isolated? Not really wanting to come to church or to hear from a friend who is a Christian who wanted to read a verse to you. The last thing you wanted really was on Facebook to get a message. Praying for you and here's a good verse for you. Where did that come from? I promise you it's not from God. I promise you it's not from God. You were not meant to race alone. Race with people. Second thing we see as we read on, the importance of laying aside anything that's unnecessary, unnecessary weight. He says, therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The word in the Greek, uh, I love the NIV when it talks about, you know, actually like this entanglement that comes. It would be, have you seen the movie Alien, the original movie Alien? And you know and how in some of those movies, you know, it just doesn't bite the guy's arm. I mean, it entangles the guy. This creature from space comes and has like thousands of legs and tongues and body parts. And it just kind of comes and gets that person. That's the word that the writer is using. He, he said sin in our life and different things are just, that are not good for the race. He said put those off. Why? Because they entangle you. They, they just kind of get heavy. Maybe part of the reference was the Olympic Games that they had. And, and not to freak anybody out, but do you know that like in a lot of the original Olympic Games, the runners ran naked? And they didn't do it for any kind of sexual exploitation. Exploit, you know, they, they didn't do it for those you know, reasons. They did it because they, they had a goal in mind, and that was to finish the, the finish, cross the finish line first. And they didn't want anything to entangle them. It was not uncommon back in this period of time for, for them to be down in the skivvies. I mean, just down to nothing to run the race. And that's what Paul is saying. So this is not encouragement for you just to come in your underwear next week. And what he's saying here is, you know, anything that, that we truly begin to, to say in our life, we say, okay, you know, this isn't bad. It's not that this is a sin. But does this really help me in my pursuit of being more like Christ? Let me give you an example. I've got to be real careful because we, got, we need to hang out with all kinds of folks. But folks, it is not good for me, personally, to hang out with people that are really negative in nature. Because I can be prone to be negative. And if I hang out with, you know, two or three folks and they're just, you know, they're a victim of this and they're, you know, bad about this and they're just... It is amazing how fast that spirit can get into me. And I'm going, yeah, you're right. Those lousy church folks. You know, you know, maybe I'm at a pastor's conference and they're talking about, I don't know about your congregation, but my congregation. And all of a sudden, instead of having this love for your congregation and this, you know, yeah, they can be kind of like that at times. And all of a sudden, that influence that is just there, and maybe they're being real about where they are, but, but that's not helpful to me. Is it necessarily sinful? Not if they're being honest. But it just doesn't help me. And so along this race, we, we have to evaluate, okay, is this helping me become more like Christ and run with endurance? Because if not, the heavy weight begins to distract us so much that, folks, we just find ourselves wanting to quit the race. 
are you tracking with me? I mean, does that make sense to you? Can, you? can you relate to that theory or that principle in your life? That it's not necessarily something sinful, but there's just some things that are just not helpful to you if this is the goal, to become more like Christ. And so he begins to write about that, and he been, begins to, to talk about um, you know, how this can affect on down the, the, the line. Uh, it, it's a lingering effect. It's, it's an effect that doesn't go away immediately when we allow these things to entangle us. Uh, if you've ever met somebody who was living during the time of the Great Depression, one of the things that lingered in their life after that is they did not want to throw away anything. Have you noticed that? Now, is that just because they're a hoarder? No. What was it? What, what do you think kind of sparked that on? Hey, there's a day I lost all this and I needed it. And now that I, there's the day that I might need this again. Have you ever met someone like that? Are you married to somebody like that? You know, <laughs> you, know they just, you, you, you hold on to things. Well, a lot of that with people that went through the Great Depression, they held on to that because it was one of those things. It was a real factor. It doesn't mean that it was always profitable, but it was a real factor. That's what the writer is saying here. Check your life as you run in this race. And, and you know, if it's not helping you become more like Christ-like, then very much pray about, you know, kind of putting that weight off to the side. Third thing, the importance of running, even though this is a, in one way, a corporate race of all Christians, there is a personal call that God has placed upon each individual life. Look what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I like the NIV in this particular translation where the NIV says, the race marked out for us. In other words, there's a personal race. There's a race that collectively, as the body of Christ, that we are running. Christ-likeness. And yet God has called you, Brandon, to some things that he has not called me to. And there are some things that he's called each of you as a Christian, as an individual, personal God, to a personal person that he's calling you to, but he's not calling somebody else to. And you say, well, Bobby, you know, can you prove that biblically? Well, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Acts goes along with the epistles of Paul. Acts is more of a historical book. And as Paul's writing these epistles, like Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, uh, they kind of go together. And remember I told you there came a time in Paul's ministry when God had told him, hey, you're not going to see these people again. This is the last time you're going to be in this town with these people. And that really kind of discouraged Paul. But at the same time, he very much knew that God's call in his life. And so in Acts chapter 20, what Paul is facing is that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's not going to see these people again. But without a doubt, he knows that God is leading this way. Look what he says. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, again, there's a lot more context there. But basically, this is what Paul was saying. He said, look, I know that as much as I want to hang out with you guys, and I would love just to stay here with you, God has called me to Jerusalem. There's something that's awaiting me there. And then further on down the road, he said, I know my life is going to be taken. But he said, I need to finish the race that God has for me. 
Knowing that God has a personal race for you. Corporately, yes, all Christians. Christ-likeness. But knowing that there's a personal race that God has for you is one of the most satisfying things, but also one of the most intimidating. Husbands, when the Bible says, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's your job. It's part of your race. God has not really called me to fill that in your wife's life any more than your wife filling that in some other person's life. There's a specific nature that God does, a general call, but then a specific call. Then he says, okay, look, Jeff, this is your job. You pastor Sherry well. You pastor Rory well. And he puts your name upon it. That is both kind of intimidating, but it's also pretty exciting that this is what God's going to equip you. This is part of your race. Even Jesus talks about his race. John chapter 17, verse 4. He's praying this prayer. And it's this prayer he's praying actually for us a lot during this time. But listen to what he says, John 17, 4. I glorified, he's praying to his Father. This is in the midst of his prayer. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, it's easy for us to sit there and go, okay, of course, Jesus had a job. It was to die on the cross and raise again from the dead. But as a Christian, I want you to understand that we serve a personal God and that there really is a personal call upon your lives. It may never be to be a pastor or this or that, but I promise you, if you are a Christian, then God has called you personally. There are things that he just says, okay, this is part of your race now. And so the importance of that point of, of, of finding out, you know, uh, sometimes, folks, that personal race is, is difficult. There are some here that are widows. That's a long race, guys. That's a hard race. And I, and I don't believe that God is punishing people and that, you know, when, when this happens or when sickness, some people have to deal with chronic illness. Or maybe your children have chronic illness. That's part of the race that God has for you. And, and we can say that that's not fair. We can do. No, here's the great thing He'll give you the strength to finish that race and to be more Christ like in that race. And He's going to give you the grace so that he can have the glory, that here, here's how my children do, that even in the midst of being a widow, even in the midst of losing a child, even in the midst of facing chronic illness, that I will give the grace so they can finish the race. It is tough, but it is encouraging at the same time. Do you see that? The friction of those two things. This is where this is not a timed race. To see who can get there the fastest. Uh, this is the race of the calling of God, and the finish line is to finish well. So that whether you're a widow or a widower, whether you are, you know, you had this kind of childhood or you had this kind of childhood, whether you face chronic illness or you had this other catastrophe, this you know, this hardship in your life, that you would be able to say that I finished the race that God put before me by the glory of God, by the grace of God. By his strength, I finished that race.
Fourth thing, and then we'll go this morning. Not only are we running a personal race, but here's the, the importance. This is probably the key factor, and that is keeping your eyes on Christ. Look at verse 2. I'll go back and read verse 1 so we can see it in context. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also uh, uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I, I like how the NIV, again, I love the ESV, but the NIV on this particular passage, just some good key words there. It uses the word fixing our eyes on him. And we just fix our eyes on him as we run this race. But I want you to see what it says here, that we endure the race and that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Does that seem like a race completed or still in process? What do you think? Is there a completion to what, when it's describing Christ? Okay. He, he endured the cross. In other words, he did that. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. doesn't mean that all of what Jesus can do is all over. But at least that aspect of salvation, is that, does that seem complete? That he finished his race, that calling upon his life. Why would Paul talk about that? Let me link two things together and then we'll close, guys. In those days that we really begin to doubt, that we really struggle, not so much does God exist, but just trying to run the race. I mean, when I say that three different times in my life, I wondered, is there really a God? That was more of a philosophical, it was more of a, just an ethereal type thing. You know, what if there really isn't a God? But in one way, I've never doubted that there really is a God out there. And that the Bible is true. In that way, I haven't doubted that. But there are days that I do not feel like running the Christian life. I don't feel like loving my wife like Christ loved the church. I don't like forgiving somebody if they haven't apologized and seem somewhat, you know, sincere about it. Or that there's some remorse in their life and repentance in their life. And so this call to be like Christ, there's times that it's just really difficult, guys. And we don't feel like running the race. Here's the good news. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is linking together. On those days when we're struggling, he said, you keep your eyes on the one who finished the race, who did it, because that's the only way you're getting through. Not on your goodness, not on your speed, not your ability to do 26.2 miles, but on the finished work of Christ. And that's how you run with endurance. Not, not in constant revival. I mean, wouldn't that be great if we were just... You know, do you want to be that, room, that person in the room that's just always up? There are some that, says, that say that Jeff is never down. But I can imagine... And I haven't seen him down here, really. I, I, I mean, the guy loves Christ well. But Sherry, I imagine in the intimacy of marriage and in the challenge of, of some days that you saw this guy who is a marathoner not want to run the race. 
And the only thing that gets you through, guys, the only thing that gets you through is you fix your eyes on him who finished the race. And grace will be sufficient. And when the doctor doesn't give you the news you want or things don't go your way, then you're going, man, I just feel like giving up. But there is my goal. And there he is on the other end. He finished the race. We're going to end with this song of reflection called Redeemed. It's probably one of my favorite songs. And uh, I think it's an appropriate song to sing with this text and with our 2017 vision. Because it talks about, okay, I'm challenged. The old is screaming out. I, I can easily be discouraged by all the things that are going on in my life. But here's what I know. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. And so that's where I rest. And so if you're running today and you need endurance, you need to run on, you're tired, you don't feel like running for a while in the Christian life, here's what he tells us to fix our eyes on. The finished work of Christ and who you are, folks. And it's not about how fast you run, how long you run. It's all about that he's already finished the race. And now, in joy and in hope, And in all the other emotions that come, we just run the race with endurance. We don't run it alone. We throw off those things that entangle us. And as it says there, we realize that this is what God has called me to do. And if my wife is going to be loved well, not that this is a heaviness upon me, but this is the call that God has for me to live out what it means to be a Christian in the family context. Running with endurance, keeping our eyes on Him, knowing that we're redeemed by His work. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love You. We thank You. And Father, uh, as we said last week, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And Father, as we talked this morning about endurance, Perhaps one of the greatest challenges that we will ever have is not to have momentary high points of the Christian life, but, Father, in those low points and those challenging points, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And even if we slow down to a walk, to keep progressing to that upward call of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I would imagine that there are some this morning that feel like maybe they've put one foot forward, but they've taken two steps back. Father, they're discouraged. They, they, if there are things that are kind of weighing them down. I pray today that, Father, that they would be able to fix their eyes on the finished work of Christ. And, Father, as we sing this song, as it's reflective of, of the emotions of this race, that we would be able to glory in the truth that we are redeemed and that the work of Christ is finished and done. Father, help us to march on. Help us to endure. And thank you that you've given us people around us to help us with that. We love you. We thank you. We sing this now, Father, as a love song, as a song of truth, back to you this day as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.